Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Welcome to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek. My guest today is the great Greg Kokel, all the way from California. But actually, right now, we're sitting across from one another because we're in Albuquerque, easy for me to say, Albuquerque, New Mexico, <laughs> at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. And we've got some brand new stuff that you're going to want to hear because Greg has a new book. Greg, yeah. what's the new book? Well, the new book is called Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. Now, if people are familiar with tactics, and the, the bells are going off. Right. Because this is really an extension of tactics. It's a sequel to tactics. And it is meant to pick up where tactics left off by um, addressing a number of issues, atheism, abortion, trouble with the Bible, sex, marriage, gender, uh, science and Christianity, et cetera, et cetera. Problem of evil, that kind of thing. Um, giving background to what is the issue, what's wrong with those issues, how to um, answer those challenges, but then packing them into the ga tactical game plan with sample dialogues and sample questions to launch people into productive conversations on those So issues. this really puts <clears throat> tactics into particular apologetic situations. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so we, we've had a number of requests, ironically, just recently, just when we were about to release the book, said, can you do more on this? Can you uh -huh. give us dialogues how these tactics actually play out in specific situations with specific challenges? And I said, well, that's what we've just done with Street Smarts. So, friends, Street Smarts is going to come out in September. If you're hearing this before then, I want you to do something. I want you to go to Amazon or wherever you get books and pre-order it. And the reason that's important is because pre-ordering actually drives it up on the charts before it comes out, which means more people see it on certain pre-order lists. Right. And then more people, therefore, will buy it, and it will help the success of the book. And this is a very important book, Greg, because here at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy this morning, we've been talking right. about how difficult it is yeah. to try and defend some of the doctrines of Christianity in a culture that is so hostile to Christianity. That's right. That's right. The things that we're facing now— uh, some of them have been around for a long time. Jesus is the only way, mm -hmm. okay? Um, for example, uh, very controversial, more controversial now than it ever has been. But now we're facing the kinds of things, frankly, Frank, I don't know about you, but I did not ever expect to face the kinds of things that we're facing now. Uh, genders and all that, transgenderism, all of those issues, ever since Obergefell in 2015 when same-sex marriage was uh, was made legal by the Supreme Court. It was imposed. Pardon me? was imposed. Is imposed, that's true. Right, imposed. Okay. Because right. you said long before that case. That's right. You said that same-sex marriage was never illegal, there was just no provision for it. There was it. no provision yeah. for it. That people, there were no new liberties that were actually given with the Obergefell decision. Um, people had the liberty to uh, um, 
walk down the aisle and pledge their treth, troth until death do them part, set up housekeeping, go on a honeymoon. Do, I mean, there are whole industries that were given to this kind of thing. They had all of those liberties. What they did not have was the kind of social approbation that the Supreme Court gave them, where the Supreme Court essentially said there is no difference between a man and a woman when it comes to these kinds of relationships. And of course, we know common sense teaches there is a big difference, and there's a huge cultural difference between a male-female long-term monogamous relationship, marriage, and a male-male or a female-female long-term monogamous relationship, which they were allowed to have. Nobody restricted them, but they didn't. what they didn't have was approval. They didn't have the culture in a sense, being forced to say that you are the same as everyone else. Mm -hmm. When apart from the moral question, just on the cultural level, it's not the same. Same Same-sex relationships do not function in the support and the health of our communities and of our culture the same way that, as I mentioned, long-term monogamous heterosexual uh, uh, unions function. And this is precisely why the governments and communities from the beginning of time, since we've had communities, have, um, have, have privileged them and have restricted them and regulated them because they, they do a particular thing that other relationships don't do. They produce the next generation. It is the foundation for culture, and culture cares about its own self-preservation. That's why they did special things for that unique relationship. There's no reason to add more people to it. The Supreme Court did that, and what they did is essentially de-defined marriage because all marriage is is a list of names. And by the way, as you know, there's no reason now not to increase the list in any given so-called marriage. So we have two or three or four or five and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, polyandry and and poly... Whatever. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, All of those kinds. What's to stop it? Because there is no standard Mm -hmm. at all except for people wanting to call themselves married. And the Supreme Court has given that opportunity. So what are some of the tactics that you give in street smarts to deal with, say, an issue like this? Let's say it's same-sex marriage or uh, gender ideology. What's new about the street smarts approach that isn't in tactics? Okay, so what what tactics does, the, the, the first treatment, the tactics book, it lays out the game plan. And in the game plan, in the third step of the game plan, you are using questions, the game plan is all about questions because questions keep you safe. Mm -hmm. When you're asking questions, you're not making claims. And if you're not making claims, there's no burden of proof on you. And you're showing an interest in the other person and it's a relaxed environment, okay? Easy, shallow end of the pool, okay? Um, So it's all dependent on questions. We're gathering types of information. But the third step of the Colombo tactic is what I call it, the game plan, is... um, is, is to use questions to expose, to, to make a point. And in particular, what Street Smarts does is we use questions to expose a weakness or a flaw in somebody else's view or use questions in a very creative way to deflect a challenge to Christianity. Okay, so what I have here that's new, the concept is there in the old book, and there's a couple of illustrations. What I've done here is given kind of a basic apologetics book. Because you can't you can't show a weakness or a flaw in somebody else's view. Atheism, answering the problem of evil, uh, dealing with a lot of these new challenges. Um, people object to issues in the Bible. They think science and faith are irre- irreconcilable. Mm-hmm. Whatever you can't 
deflect those things unless you know what's wrong with them. So a massive portion of the chapters dealing with all these things is letting Christians know, here's the mistake, here's the flaw. And these are things I've been dealing with for you know almost 50 years, frankly. Mm-hmm. My 50th anniversary is coming up here in a couple of months as a Christian, and I got in play very quickly and have had a lot of experience, just like you have at universities all over the world, um, in engaging people in conversations. And so I've had to figure out what's wrong with these things in order for me to tactically be able to answer the challenges. Uh, That's one thing you have to have. you got to know what's wrong. And so I spent lots and lots of time setting that out. Now you have a clear idea of the flaw. How do we leverage our understanding of the flaw um, into a conversation with someone else? So a quick example. Um, Problem of evil. Okay, this is a a perennial problem, one of the biggest challenges to Christianity, because if it goes through the way people think it goes through, it's a it's a it's a defeater for Christianity because mm-hmm. there's a apparent contradiction. Now, I in Street Smarts, I do not deal with why God allowed evil. I do talk or how to defeat the contradiction. I've done that other ways. So there's not a contradiction if if you understand the Christian worldview, okay? This is part of our story, okay? Uh, And our story's not over yet. It all works in. Um, But two thoughts, two things I do address is I say, first of all, this is not a Christian problem. This is a human problem. Yes. The problem of evil, it doesn't matter where you live or when you lived. Everybody knows something's wrong with the world. And so every worldview has to address this problem, okay? Now, the atheist thinks that if he can challenge Christians with the problem of evil— Okay, that he can, it gets him off the hook. But he can, and we're going to pick it up right after the break. And Street Smarts is the place you can get answers to these issues, whether it's the problem of evil, whether it's science, whether it's the gender issues, same-sex marriage. We're going to talk more about it with my guest today, Greg Kokel of Stand to Reason. Check out Street Smarts wherever you get books. Pre-order it today. We're back in two. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek. My guest today is the great Greg Kokel. And if you're listening to this on the American Family Radio Network, uh, you need to know that we have two podcasts. This is the one you hear on the radio. But there's one midweek that is not broadcast on the American Family Radio Network. It drops on Tuesday. So just look for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, the podcast, and you can find the midweek program, and we'll have several guests over the next several weeks that you're going to want to hear on the midweek podcast. Back to my guest today. I think SCR has a one-hour show, too, on AFR, and I think it follows yours as before. I'm not sure how the how the schedule Does it? Is it on the weekends, yeah. Greg? It's on the weekends. On the weekends. So you got Stand a Reason as well, str.org. My guest today, Greg Coco. Greg, before the break, we were talking about the problem of evil and right. unpack this problem and how to deal with it in yeah. street smarts, pick right. up the conversation. Yeah, what I said is uh, I try to make two points. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm after in my conversation. I'm not, take, I'm not taking on the whole issue. I want to get them thinking. I want to, as I put it in the books, uh, put a stone in their shoe. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to close the deal. I just want to get them thinking, okay? And uh, one thing I know, and this is a lot of people don't realize this, the problem of evil is everyone's problem, not and, and that's the Christian's problem. And so when I approach it, I'm looking at it from a perspective of, of a human being first, not as a Christian apologist, okay? What is the best explanation 
given the fact of the problem of evil in the world, okay? And so that means it's also on the atheist, okay, to explain the problem of evil. So uh, my first question is going to be something, if they offer it, is to get clarification. What do you mean? What exactly is the problem? Okay, and then they're going to explain it. So you, so you believe there really is evil in the world. Of course I do. That's why I don't believe in God. Okay, well, well that, that, I have another question for you. Okay, um, you think that evil is evidence against God. Yes, I do. Okay, so now that God is gone, let's just say there was no God. Okay, do the things that you called evil still happen in the world? Yeah, sure they do. And they're still evil. Yeah, of course they're evil. Okay, help me to understand how does atheism explain the problem of evil? Tough luck. Yeah, well, tough luck, yeah. It's, it. But see, they, they they can't even call it evil mm-hmm. because they they're, an atheist is a person who's a materialist, or generally, but certainly they don't believe in anyone out there who's setting a standard. Now, keep in mind what the objection is. How can there be so much evil in the world? People aren't talking about how can things happen that I don't like. That's relativism. They're talking about things that shouldn't be the way they are. That ain't right, you know? And so if that ain't right, that means it's broken some rule that applies to everyone. They shouldn't have done that. Okay, so then my next question is, is going to go in that direction. I don't know what he's going to say when I ask him, how do you explain it? I know that there's not going to be an explanation. He can't call those things evil on his worldview. That's my knowledge here, and my questions are going to move in that direction. That's one part of my approach. Uh, the second part is is the idea that if he's going to call something evil, it can only be evil in virtue of violating some kind of standard, okay? As Lewis has said, you don't call something crooked unless you have an idea of what straight is, right. okay? So I'm going to ask him about that. So you think when you say they're evil, they, they did something wrong. Yes, of course. So they, they, they broke a rule. Would that be fair to say, like a moral rule? Yeah, they, they did what they're not supposed to do, okay? So my response is, who's the sposer? Mm-hmm. Where are you getting your standard, moral standard, that you are judging evil in the world by? Now, that's, that, there's the introduction to the conversation. Now, I have the dialogue in the book, just like that, and there's a couple other lines in there, but it's meant to get Christians going. Here's the kinds of questions. Here's what's wrong. Here's the kinds of questions you can use to kind of launch the issue, and then you just kind of follow the conversation, but you know what you're trying to accomplish, okay? And, you know, sometimes people are just going to be stumped because a lot of these issues, it, with the questions you ask that are legitimate, they're not trying to um, make them look dumb or foolish or trap them in an illicit way. But an atheist is making a statement when he says there's so much evil in the world, how could God allow that, that he is not allowed to make as an atheist because there's no standard for evil in the atheist's world, okay? So I'm pitting his worldview against mine. In my worldview, the problem of evil makes sense because we have a lawmaker and we acknowledge that people break those laws and there are going to be consequences to it. Okay, why would he allow that to happen? Well, he knows that better better than we do. But if there is potentially some good reason he would allow evil for a season, then it's not a contradiction. Okay, that's the basic uh, response to that issue. I don't go into detail there. The most important thing I want to show is that the atheist is making a complaint himself that he can't answer and I can. 
Yeah, he's stealing okay. the standard from God while he's Th- that's right. And there is no God. And, and yeah. he is acknowledging implicitly that there is a standard over mm-hmm. everyone, which can only be the case if there is someone to impose the standard in some way, a transcendent standard, a transcendent God. So the cash, the cash out for this is, Frank, ironically, that the problem of evil is not a good argument against God. No. It's a good argument for God, the moral argument for God, and against atheism. Yeah. It's atheism's fatal flaw. That's the name of the chapter. Dr. The Geiser book. used to say that evil doesn't disprove God. It may prove there's a devil out there, yeah. but it doesn't disprove God because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good, and there'd That's be right. no such thing as good unless God existed. So this appeal to a standard is a tactic that is very effective mm-hmm. on so many different fronts. Do you, yeah. do you use that same standard, say, on the same-sex marriage or gender issue? What standard are you appealing to in order to say this is a good thing. Yeah, I uh, I think that's a legitimate way to uh-huh. go. It just depends on the conversation. Okay. Okay. Uh, that issue is so emotionally freighted. Okay. And the and the Christian point of view. And today your presentation, you gave this. What do you call that thing? That uh, the Overton window. The Overton window. Yeah. Uh, from in the way culture looks at things now, this is our view is way at the extreme. And so you've got really intense feelings about that. What I try to do in that case is I try to leverage um, their sensibilities regarding that. In other words, what drives them morally, so to speak, to defend that, okay? Before I say that, I just want to mention a point here that would just, uh, as an aside, no extra charge. When people ask you for your preferred pronouns, don't give the pronouns that match your sex because you're then saying, these are the pronouns I prefer. Mm. I just happen to be cisgendered, you Mm. know? So I prefer he and him because I'm a male. But now you're playing into the narrative. Sure. Instead, respond, I don't have a preferred pronoun. I have a sex. Mm-hmm. I'm male, for example, or female. And that's a way to kind of state that. And now you're kind of taking a stand. You're planting a flag a little bit. But they've asked you for what your view is, and that's their ethic. Their ethic is we should let people be themselves. And so you're saying, okay, this I'm myself. Except you, Mr. Christian, you can't be that's yourself. That's right. Well, that's the way it plays out. It's a one-way street. Right. But here's how I'm going to play that out in a conversation situation. I'm I'm going to say that um, I'm going to ask, do you do you think here, the pushback is we don't want to use preferred pronouns with other people? Okay, especially if they don't match, match their gender. All right, uh, and or if they don't match any gender, I mean, sorry, match their sex or any sex, uh, that's all crazy stuff. You know, oh, gender's flexible. No, it's not. Your imagination is flexible. Mm-hmm. Gender's not flexible. You know, you, you don't get assigned. You don't assign. Pardon the f- reference, beer. No one assigns. No doctor assigns a v- penis or a vagina. You know, that's part of the basic <laughs> equipment. Okay, right. it's the structure of reality. Mm-hmm. But we're getting pushed to go along with a narrative that uh, is is against our views. But it isn't just against our views. It's against the structure of reality. It's foolishness, and it's not good for the people who are pursuing this individually, gender dysphoric people. And so, uh, but why do we have to do that? Because we have to be nice. We have to, we, we, it's, people should be authentic. You know, you do you is their idea. Mm-hmm. So if this is what they believe about themselves, we need to support what they well, personally believe. Well, my authentic self, to be auth- Their authentic self. Okay. My authentic self is to is to to not say what my pronouns are. Okay, so. My authentic self is to tell you, you can see I'm a man. 
<laughs> yeah. So why can't? That's my authentic self. Yeah, my authentic yeah. self is to say you're a sinner. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. gotta be myself, Greg. <laughs> okay, so now you're making the proper point. Yeah. Okay, but that's not tactically um, shrewd uh-huh. because now you're making a statement right. that is liable to get a gain gainsay response. Somebody's gonna disagree, and then bang, 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 yeah, bang, yeah, both yeah. disagree. Him. So. If we use the tactical approach, you're asking what our streets might, we're going to use questions mm-hmm. that employ what you just said. Mm-hmm. That's the understanding we have. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say to somebody in this situation. So, do you think people ought to be authentic to their own views? Mm. Of course we do. That's why I'm in favor of supporting these people who are trying to be authentic to themselves. Mm. Okay. So I have another question for you, if you don't mind, and that is, um, when a Christian says one thing, but he does another. He says he believes this. This is his conviction, but he lives a totally different way. You hypocrite. It's a hypocrite. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Is being a hypocrite wrong? Yes, it is. Now, notice I'm setting this up. You know where I'm going, yeah. Frank, and yeah. so do the, to the viewers. Yeah. We're, uh, uh, I'm setting him up. He's putting all this stuff on the table. He's not going to be able to take it back because he put it there in response to my questions. Mm-hmm. And then, then I said, okay, now, final question. Why are you asking me or demanding, pressuring me to be inauthentic to my own convictions and essentially asking me to be a hypocrite? Hmm. Okay, there's the question. Now, what happens now? The ball just went in his court and it's his turn. Pressure's off me. Hmm. It was all questions. But I was able to make the point with questions. Now he's got to respond. You shouldn't be a bigot. I don't care if you want to be a bigot. You shouldn't be a bigot. What's a bigot? Exactly. That's what you need to ask. Okay. See, that's yeah. our first Columbo yeah. question. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Why would you say that I'm bigoted? Because uh-huh. you, you don't agree with me. Yeah. Okay. You, are you saying that a bigot is somebody who doesn't agree with somebody else? Yeah, that's what okay. I'm saying. Do you agree with me? No. Then that would make you a, a bigot? No, is that's that different. I'm right. You're wrong. Oh, that's, <laughs> ironically, that's exactly the comment that I've gotten from people. Uh-huh. The reason I'm not a bigot or intolerant <laughs> is because... I'm actually right. That's, right. That's what they said. So, uh-huh. But it just goes to show um, that these kind of conversations, there's no magic bullet here. No. There's no silver bullet. As, there's you, no, as you said before, conversations are messy. Yeah, right? they're messy. They're right. not tidy. What we're doing is to try to rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. The, the, the rising is more difficult than it ever has been because the issues are more complex. And uh, Christians aren't out in the street and the reason that they're not in the street, so to speak, and the street, by the way, is wherever you you feel uncomfortable, wherever you feel challenged, uh, wherever things are difficult, you know, then you're, okay, whoa, I, I'm not going there, all right? That could be your office, it could be a school, it could be your family, you're, you know, when you get into certain discussions, uh, because they don't know the answers, they don't know how to do that. And uh, they know this is challenging and messing. And that's what the book, Street Smarts, is helping them to do. And we've got a lot more to talk with Greg about. How do you deal with the science and faith issue? What about that? How about problems in the Bible? We're going to get to it today in this episode of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, my guest, Greg Kokel of Stand to Reason, his new book, Street Smarts. It goes further than tactics. That's why you need to get it. Pre-order it now. Back in two. Do you know how to deal with atheists? Do you know how to answer their concerns when it comes to science, morality, evil, the Bible? One book you can get on that is actually Street Smarts. We're talking to Greg Kokel about it, but also you can join a course that begins on August 14th 
I'll be your instructor. It's called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. If you take the premium version, you're going to be with me on six occasions for live Q&A Zoom sessions where we can learn from one another and you can ask any question you want. So go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You will see it there. Now, uh, Greg, we were talking before the break about the value of knowing this material so you can be very good on the street. Mm -hmm. I want to bring up another objection that we hear all the time. You Christians are basically just committing the God of the gaps fallacy whenever you say that, you know, God created the universe or God designed life or or any other kind of issue that relates to science. Science is one day going to get rid of the need for God completely. We've already seen it in the past. We used to say that God created thunder and lightning directly and all that. We know that isn't the case. God's How do you bowl- respond? The gods were bowling, right? That's right, yeah. So um, my question is going to be right out of the gates. What what exactly is the God of the gaps fallacy? Mm-hmm. Now, I know that. Yes. Okay? And they have something in their mind, but I want them to put it out on the table. I want to get the challenges as clear as possible. People who've read Tactics knows this is the first step of mm-hmm. the game plan. Um, Street Smarts is the third step, so that's what I expand on in this book. But you, we've got to start with the beginning of the game plan um, because that's going to give us the most safety and the most information to know how to move forward. So when I asked him, what do you, what's the God of the gaps fallacy? How do you understand it? He said, will you find something that you don't, uh, that science can't explain and so you just stick God in there and you say, God did it. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, uh, and I said, that's what you think we're doing? Oh, okay, well, you're, you're misunderstanding a few things. But l- let me ask you a question about your confidence that you just expressed. You, you, did I hear you right that you said these are things that science will be able to answer? Yes. Okay, so you're acknowledging that there is a gap of information. Yes. And we don't have an answer. Like even Richard Dawkins said, we don't know who created the universe or what created the universe, but give science more time, we'll okay. figure it out. Okay, so so thank you. So you don't know, and science doesn't know. Not yet, okay. but we will. The advance of science. Okay, we'll, I'm just we'll, curious, um, how is this not an example of science of the gaps? Well, we've seen the progress of science in the past. So it's a logical inference that this will continue to the point that science is one day going to be able to okay. explain everything. It's it's a logical inference because they've explained something. Yes. Why do you think they will be able to explain everything? I just have the I have the confidence. Okay, good. That okay. It will so happen. that youth this is an mm-hmm. example of pushing science into the gap. Yes. Okay. okay, so the next thing... Be- because of previous yeah. experience, okay. though. It's not right. compl- it's not blind okay. faith here. It may be right. some faith, but it's not blind faith. Okay, do you think that's what I'm doing? Blind I think faith. that's what you're doing okay. when you're putting God in the gap of So in other words, you don't think I have a reason for asserting God in a certain circumstance? Well, what reason do you think God created the universe? Okay. Why couldn't a multiverse so be I'll, responsible? I'll, well, I'm not, uh, the multiverse is a different issue, okay? I'm, I have questions about that that I could ask you. I just want to stay on this one topic okay. for a moment. Okay. So let me just ask you a few questions mm-hmm. on this so-called God of the gaps. Okay. So um, you think things exist. I'm just going to ask some simple questions to get Yes, of course. Yeah, easy. Okay. The things that exist, have they always existed in well, your mind? Is the universe eternal? Some say it is. No, what do you think? Well, the, the best scientific evidence we have now is no, it had okay. a beginning. So the universe came into existence at some time yes. in the past. 
It's got an age. Okay, yes. I'm with you. I agree with all of that. Okay, here's the question that I have for you now. Mm -hmm. What caused the universe to come into we don't existence? Know. Okay, well, you only have two options. Mm -hmm. Either something or nothing. Something did or nothing did. Now, if you say we don't know what caused it, mm -hmm. that sounds to me like you, you're saying something did, but we don't know what it was. Is that right? It could be. No. We don't know. We're, we, we, we don't have enough information to say it was God at this point. Why would you say it was God? So I'm not saying it's God right now, but I'm just, I'm just working mm -hmm. with two basic categories. Mm -hmm. If you say we don't know what caused it, mm -hmm. that sounds like you mean something caused it, okay? Mm -hmm. The only other alter alternative is saying nothing caused it. Mm -hmm. No cause, no purpose, no reason. So what do you think is the odds on favorite? Some have suggested nothing, like Lawrence Krauss. Okay, well. But of course, let me, let me, to be fair about that, his yeah. nothing isn't really nothing. That's right. Okay. <laughs> okay. That should be my line. But, <laughs> thank you. Right. That's why I will sometimes say something caused it or mm -hmm. no thing mm -hmm. caused it. Mm -hmm. Because in the case of Krauss, with a lot of people, they use nothing as a kind of something, and it turns out to be a kind of something, you know, the quantum right. vacuum or something like that. But but there's the ultimate cause, where whatever it is that exists that caused other things, where that came into being. I'm just zeroing in on this, Frank. You're saying that the universe came into existence, all I'm asking, two categories, mm -hmm. law of excluded middle, mm -hmm. law of non-contradiction, it can't be both, it can't mm -hmm. be neither, okay? So you're the reasonable guy. Do you think no thing caused it, no, no, that no thing is responsible, or that something is responsible? Well, it must be something, but we don't know what that something okay, is, enough. so I'm gonna remain agnostic at okay, this Okay, well, that's fair, that's fair mm -hmm. but you've already said quite a bit mm -hmm. that you know mm -hmm when you say something, mm. because now it's gotta be something outside of the natural universe, right? Mm. Well, we can't get behind Planck time. No, 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 I'm just saying, whatever Planck time is, mm -hmm. I thought we just agreed mm. that all of that stuff, quantum vacuum, mm -hmm. Planck time, all this stuff, there was when, <clears throat> pardon me, there was when it wasn't. Mm -hmm. There was when it wasn't. So at some time in the past, time T zero, all of this came into being. My question is, what caused Planck time, quantum mm. vacuum, mm. atoms, all that other stuff? You know, what caused that? So, now you said something, mm -hmm. something. Okay, good. But then that would have to be something outside of the natural universe. So why would you say it's God though? What, well, what, what is the evidence for God? Not just <clears throat> to say, well, we, ha we don't have a natural explanation. Why do you say it's the God of the Bible? Frank, okay, well, you've asked two, two different mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. One of them is why is uh, <clears throat> why is it God and why is it God of the Bible? Mm -hmm. I just want to stick with one thing at a time mm -hmm. here, and, and we've already established one of the reasons. Okay, you said something outside of the natural whatever, mm -hmm. something outside of the material universe caused it. Okay, well, if it's something that caused it, it can't be material because what it causes is the material universe, fair enough? Right, Okay, right, okay. and that something mm -hmm. is non-material and it has to be pretty powerful, pretty um, smart. It would have to be something that could initiate a cause. That means it has to have a will. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but this is beginning to sound a lot like the God 
that I believe in. Okay, so let's stop this one right here because mm-hmm. um, we can go to some other things. Sure. But it, it's enough to give people an idea of how this back and forth right. works. And what I have in my mind is a clear idea of where I want to go. Now, most Christians don't have that. Mm. That's what the book gives them. Mm. Okay, but I have more than that in my my mind. Not just a clear idea where I want to go, but questions that will elicit affirmations from the objector Mm -hmm. that become pieces of my case that leads to an end. I mean, I'm surprised even in our little role play here, when you say we don't know what caused it. Well, that is an omission that something caused it. You're not going for the no thing option. You're going to the something option. That kicks us immediately outside of the material world. Materialism must be false. And and uh, then it's got to have these characteristics because if you say, what caused, the, what caused that big bang I heard in the room? Uh, a pin fell on the carpet. Mm. You say, no. No, that's not going to work because it's not adequate to the effect. Um, when you start looking at that, now you're getting a kind of a profile of what what's in the running. And what's in the running is someone like we're advancing. Now, whether it's the God of the Bible, that's a different kind of right, step. Right, right. Okay? It's a different issue, a different set of questions, et cetera, and a different uh, type of defense that we're offering. Now, notice, ladies and gentlemen, what Greg is doing here. And by the way, we're talking to Greg Kokel, his new book, Stan, I mean, Stan a Reason. That's his, that's his website, <laughs> str.org. Okay. It's his not a bad is, thing to come out with on a right. regular basis, Stan a Reason. <laughs> str.org. Yes, his new book is Street Smarts. And we're talking, we're having kind of a little dialogue here about the objection I quite, I get, even on college campuses, the atheists, the agnostics will say, well, yeah, okay, but we don't know what caused it. Caused it. They just go to agnosticism. And what you're trying to do, it seems, is just try and make a modest point. You're not trying to get all the way to Jesus. No argument gets all the way to Jesus anyway. No cosmological argument does. Right. It get gets you to what appears to be a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent yeah. first cause yeah, yeah. that's outside the universe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's Jesus. It could be Allah. It could be some other theistic or deistic God. But at least it's not atheism. Yeah. You know, you're moving people toward what appears to be a theistic result. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we're putting a stone in their mm-hmm. shoe. We're just giving them something to think about. And the minute they say, we don't know what caused it, and I don't want folks to miss this, that's an implicit admission mm-hmm. that something caused it. Mm. That's progress because now their materialism is dead at that point. Right. If the material world is what was the effect, then the cause couldn't have been material. Okay. And now that's a huge step forward. Okay. You can't you you can't be a materialistic atheist right now. Now you may be a, a genuine agnostic. Most atheists that claim to be agnostic are not agnostic. Because an agnostic is somebody who has who doesn't know, all right. But it doesn't mean. Well, let me let me back up for a minute. An, an agnostic is a is a is a belief category, not a knowledge category. Okay, um, just like theism and atheism. Those atheists who call themselves agnostics because they don't know actually believe. There is no God, even if they don't know for sure. Okay. Right. Atheism is belief that there is no God. Theism is belief that there is a God. That's why they call theists believers and atheists non-believers. Whether they know or not, that's another that's another issue entirely. And sometimes this gets confused in the conversations. 
We're talking to Greg Kokel. His brand new book, Street Smarts, comes out in September. You need to pre-order it now. Wherever you get books, order Street Smarts. It's going to help you quite a bit having conversations. Those of you who have listened to this program have probably read Tactics. I recommend it a lot. In fact, I even sell the book (laughs) at crossexamine.org because we, it's a very effective book. This is going to go to the next level now. This is going to actually apply the tactics to specific issues, and that's what we're talking about here. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about problems with the Bible because there are problems with the Bible that we need to be able to answer in a very effective way, and Greg is going to give us some insights on how to do that. So don't go anywhere. We're back in just two minutes. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. If you're low on the FM dial looking for NPR, go no further. You're never going to hear this on national public radio. Not Greg Kokel on national public radio. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's well, our intent I've been intent on the anyway. BBC before, though, and that's kind of similar on the other side of the on pond. On the other side of the pond, they won't yeah. let you over here. The p- people who are fighting for inclusion, tolerance, and diversity will not include you. Yeah. They will not tolerate you. They will exclude you for having diverse views like this, Greg. That's so. In any event, we're talking about uh, how do you navigate this culture? And earlier in the program, we just referenced the Overton window. We don't have time to unpack that here today. We were talking about it here at Cross-Examined, this Cross-Examined Instructor Academy. Just look up the Overton window. You can see what it means. Basically, the bottom line is there are certain ideas that are acceptable in the culture because they're in this window and other ideas that are outside that window and they're not acceptable. And right now, many Christian ideas are outside the window. So you can't just state these ideas without giving a defense. And the best way to give a defense Quite honestly, most of the time it's through questions. Yeah. By the way, one of the things I got from that window was that the things that used to be on the extreme are now mainstream. That's right. And the things that used to be mainstream, that's our ideas, Uh are now on the extreme. And so let's deal with some of the problems in the Bible, Greg, because there are questions that people have about the Bible. Christians have questions about the Bible. One of them seems to be this issue of slavery. Doesn't the Bible condone slavery? Okay, so now the backstory for us is that um, the word translated slave in the Old Testament, abad, E-B-E-D is the transliteration, abad, um, Actually, in my in the King James version, they get almost, it right. They get uh, it right. Yeah, yeah. They almost never translated as slave uh-huh. because it's the same word that can be translated servant. And even in the, my New American Standard um, uh, Concordance, um, two thirds of the time it's still translated servant. It's interesting. So Moses is a servant of God in Abad, but he also had slaves, Abads. You know, and there was a shift in translation towards the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century. Why that shift happened, I don't know. But um, what ends up happening is people, especially in the American tradition or the Western civilization tradition, they have a very particular understanding or picture in their mind when they see the word slavery, okay? And this is what they think the Bible is condoning, okay? So it's not. And so what I'm going to ask them when they bring up the issue of slavery, and remember, I have an understanding about what is wrong with the challenge given the biblical record, and I am going to use questions to help them give me information, put stuff on the table that will I can use then to make my case. Give me some of those questions. Okay, so I'm going to ask them, when you hear the word slavery— what do you think of? I think of racism, kidnapping people, putting them under forced servitude, not treating them well. 
murdering at will, raping at will, yeah, all that's that kind part of, of stuff. I mean, it's all that's part right. of the package, okay? So, uh, and my response is, if that's the kind of thing that the, the Bible affirmed, I'd be shocked too. I'd be upset too. So I understand. Notice I'm sympathizing with their concern, mm. okay? At least the way they understand what the, they think the Bible talks about. Yes. I said, my next point is, here's something you maybe didn't know. Did you know that kidnapping in the Bible, according to the Mosaic Law, which talks about slavery, I'll get to that in a moment, kidnapping is a capital crime. You kidnap somebody, you get executed. Did you know that murder was a capital crime? Did you know that rape was a capital crime? Okay. If murder, rape, and kidnapping are capital crimes in the Mosaic Law, and the Mosaic Law talks about slavery— then it cannot be the kind of slavery that comes to mind when you think of the word. What kind of slavery okay. was it then? So it's something different. Now, this it? is something else that you may not know. Mm -hmm. But the Hebrew word uh, translated slave, abad, E-B-E-D, is the same word that is translated servant. And when you look closely at the details, I mean, this is not exactly a tidy situation. I acknowledge that. You've got people who, I mean, everybody was a slave or a slave owner of some sense, had servants or whatever in the Old Testament. But not just they, in the I Old mean, Testament, ancient but, Near Eastern, but across ancient the Near, world. That's what I meant. That's yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, my misstep there. But, yeah. but so, but, but um, what, the, what you had was an opportunity for people to make a living because they had to do something or serve, in many cases, serve someone, single women, women who had, had been raped even, or, or parents that had to find some way of giving them a, a livelihood. If they could you know, indenture themselves, in other words, they could sell their labor, which is basically what we all do to our employer. We sell ourselves in labor to them to get paid for. It looked a little different then than it did now. But even in the the uh, colonies, I'm reading a, uh, a autobiography of um, of um, uh, Franklin and and Benjamin Franklin. There were all kinds of indentured servants. That's how they started America. People indentured themselves. They gave themselves as servants for a period of time to work for them so they could make a living. Okay, but here's the key about the Mosaic Law. All those indentured servants, and they had them all over, but they had no protection. In the law, they had union protection <laughs> because the indentured service got it one day off every week, okay? Mm. They were protected from violence. You break their tooth, and you had to set them free. If they escaped, they got protection from the law. So what and I'm after six years of service, they were also let yeah, go. Yeah, if they were they? Jewish. Yeah, okay. okay. Year of Jubilee. Uh -huh. So what I'm saying, all I'm saying here, Frank, as I, I understand your concern, but because of translation confusion, and also we have a heritage of grotesque behavior in this country that was abominable, um, it's easy for us to portray that going on in the Scripture as the same thing that happened, and it's just not the same thing. It's very different. In fact, it was really a step up from everybody else to express human dignity and to protect people who were vulnerable. By the way, do you know who was responsible for the abolition of slavery in the West? Do you know? 
well, Wilberforce really Well, Wilberforce started. as an individual yeah. in the UK. Yes. And then it spread to – Wilberforce did it. Why? Because of his Christian Because he was a Christian. Yeah. Not because he was an atheist, not because he was a humanist. Um, I'm not putting down atheists or humanists on this. They can have convictions against slavery. Fine. But it turns out that it were, was Christians who understood that the kind of forced servitude that was witnessed in the West was just dishonoring to God and wrong, and they ended it. There were Christians that tried to perpetuate the kind of chattel slavery we had here in America and they did so illegitimately. In fact, they even created the slave Bible where they took out any verse that seemed to contradict. Oh, I didn't know about that. Slavery. Yeah. And uh, yeah, our friend um, our friend John McRae over there at What Do You Meme has a little video on this, yeah. which is uh, quite interesting. Yeah. Because the Bible is about liberation. Although it is true that the Bible does not express an outright outlaw of the kind of slavery that the Old Testament had because it was necessary in order to allow people to live, as you said earlier, to make a living. These people were destitute. How else are they going to make a living? If they were in debt, they put themselves basically in service to somebody who would pay them and take care of them. And that's why I think it's it's just a mistake to just keep using the word slavery Mm -hmm. because these were servants. They were indentured servants. They had obligations to their employer, and those took on a form that was natural in the ancient Near East, uh, different, excuse me, from what we have. But keep in mind, they had legal... Uh, union representation is called the Mosaic Law. Now, there are many other objections related to this issue, and I know you cover some of them in Street Smarts. Uh, the scholar who's really looked into this in great detail is our mutual Paul. friend, Paul Copan. Paul Copan, right. So Paul has written a couple of books. One is called Is God a Moral Monster that right. gets into this in yeah. great detail. And I think the newer one is called Is God a Vindictive Vindic- Bully? Bully, right, yeah. And so for folks that really want to go into depth on right. that issue and other issues, uh, you can go there. Greg, we're running yeah. out of time here. In yeah, this. just a, a, a qualifier. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Paul's yeah. book because I can't take a deep dive in right. every issue in a book like this. Right. We're covering what I think are the most important and the most useful for engaging people with questions uh, to put a stone in their shoe. And that's all in this book, Street Smarts. Now, why is it so important to, to ask questions rather than make statements in today's culture? Greg? Well, um, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, if you're making statements that put you in a, a combative in, environment, mm-hmm. for one, okay, so you are, you are, you're saying you're wrong and I'm right, and here's why you're wrong. Okay. Um, secondly, when you make statements, you are making claims that are controversial that puts burden of proof on your shoulders. So if you say something is so and, and it's controversial, then you got to give some reasons why it's so. And, and the, the, those who are contending with you are very happy to ask you and to challenge those issues. And a lot of Christians don't have solid reasons, okay? Uh, so you're in a combative situation where now you're vulnerable, and, uh, and somebody could just disagree with you, okay? Um, and so the, the, you know, these kind of conversations are hard enough. You don't want to make them more difficult. If you use a tactical approach using questions, you are not vulnerable, Okay, you are not making claims. You are using questions to make your point, but you're not vulnerable. So, uh, especially in the first couple steps of the game plan, you're in the shallow end of the pool. It's easy, okay, and you want to continue that. Plus, it's more amicable. As I mean, you're kind of role playing a little bit, and you're you know a little hostile in the. But I'm just responding and asking questions. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me. I can be relaxed because I know the game plan and I know what I'm trying to do. I have some street smarts, and that's what we want to give to. Others. So check it out, friends. Street Smarts. You should pre-order it. 
You're going to want this book. Is it going to be an Audible too? Oh, it's already an Audible. Audible. I do the reading. Oh, okay. It's already an Audible. We have a study guide. We have videos. We have the whole suite of material. Oh, okay. Beautiful. Where do they get uh, the study guide, Greg? Well, they can get everything uh, um, on on Amazon, of Uh course. Uh, It's not ready yet. All right. But the book book itself is ready for pre-order. But by the launch, I think the whole suite will be available. Uh, there's a, a Sonderman website. I'm, to be a good author with Sonderman, I'm supposed to tell you what the 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 the, uh, the website is. Just but Google I can't it. Remember, Google Street Smarts. You'll find it. Yeah, yeah. Street Smarts. Greg Kokel, K O U K L, and it's a book you need to get, friends, because it applies tactics which are critical to real world everyday situations that we're dealing with as Christians. So pick up Street Smarts de- today, and Greg, it's always a pleasure. It always is. Thank All you. right, thanks, Greg. All right. Friends, we'll see you here next week. Lord willing, don't forget about the Stealing from God course that starts on August 14th. Also, a real fun course this summer. Why can't you be normal just like me? You want to check that out as well at crossexamine.org. All right, see you here next week. God bless.